Thanks, everyone, for being here. Welcome to Homestead Community Church. Um, I'm going to turn this fan away. Now you get preferred seating. It's like being at SeaWorld, the front row, except you, you won't get splashed. You'll get fanned. Um, it is a little warm and humid in here, so it's, it's, I'm glad you're here. It's actually not so bad. Last, last Sunday was kind of like a sauna. Today's more like a steam room. So think of just all the, the benefits to that. Your pores are getting cleaned out as well as your heart today at church. So uh, we're a full-service church. Um, just real quick, Stephen mentioned the Welcome Home campaign. We are in, uh, in the process of purchasing a building. If you are visiting today or somewhat new, we rent space from here. This is Faith United Methodist Church. So they are a lovely congregation that meets here earlier on Sundays, and then we come in uh, after them. And so they have been great. We've been here for three years, but we believe that God has a home for us, a building in Farmington that we are looking for. So if you would like more information on that or a way to be a part of that. But that was our Welcome Home campaign, where as a church we are... Uh, committing money over two years to give towards the purchase and renovation of this building, and it has been going well, and we are going to keep you updated as new updates come along as far as the negotiations for that building. All right, we, um, we are in the book of Acts. We're taking the summer, and we are looking at the book of Acts, the go- uh, not the gospel. The book of Acts was written by Luke, who wrote the gospel of Luke. This is, and I've des- described it this way, Acts is kind of like the second half of the story. The gospel of Luke talks about all the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, and then the book of Acts was after, after Jesus died, after he rose again, after he ascended to heaven, he left the disciples with this challenge, this commission to go into all the world, tell everybody about Jesus, tell everybody about salvation through Jesus Christ, and make disciples. And the book of Acts is where that great commission is given through basically, you know, about 30 or 40 years of the disciples going around planting churches, facing opposition, um, seeing this Jesus movement go from a very small group of disciples in Jerusalem to the known world, churches around the known world um, being planted, disciples being made. And so we we have been in this now. This is the fifth week we're going through the book of Acts, and we are going to be in Acts chapter 6 today, and we're going to be doing this for the rest of the summer. And so far, um, what we have seen is this great commission is given to the disciples. It's kind of like a, um, it's a local movement so far. What we're seeing so far is that a lot of this is happening in Jerusalem or in Judea, kind of close to Jerusalem. But today, that is when that all changes. So we're going to pick up the story today in Acts chapter 6. And, uh, and what we're going to look at is a couple of themes And I'm going to read Acts chapter 6, starting at verse 1 through 7. If you'd like to follow along, there are some black hardcover Bibles in the pews uh, that you're sitting in, and they'll be in the same translation that I'm reading from, which is the NIV today. Otherwise, the words will be up on the screen. Acts chapter 6, looking at verse 1 through 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve, the twelve disciples, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith 
and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, and here's a bunch of names that I'm going to mispronounce, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So one of the main issues, and I've mentioned this before, one of the main issues that you see throughout the book of Acts is this. There's this conflict between the insiders and the outsiders, and that's religiously speaking, also, you know, ethnically speaking. But anyone who would consider themselves an insider was kind of like the Old Testament Jewish faith. They believed they were the insiders, and anybody else was an outsider. Now, this is one of the issues that you see throughout the book of Acts. And you have this Jesus movement, these, this group of people that are following Jesus, launched from Jewish believers, the first disciples, Jesus himself. They were Jews. This launched from Jewish believers. And in the Old Testament, what you had was the Jews were God's chosen people. If you read through the Old Testament, it's the story of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people. They were God's chosen people, chosen above everybody else. And so when it came to other nations or other people groups, it was always viewed as this. If you were Jewish, you were like, we are the insiders, We are God's chosen. We are God's preferred or favorite people, and we're more important than any other group of people. That's what their view was coming from the Old Testament. So now that we're in the Jesus time, the New Testament, this new Jesus movement, this idea of religious insiders is really hard to break. And you're seeing that in this passage of Scripture today. Even after Jesus taught and was killed and rose again and ascended to heaven, um, this proclamation, this new way of salvation that Jesus presented to the people, it was assumed that this was just for the Jewish people. And so while you're seeing opposition, and if you've been here in the weeks past, you're seeing the temple leaders, those who would consider themselves the insiders, the true believers, they are opposed to this Jesus movement. And you're seeing this again and again. These apostles are being arrested. They're being questioned. Why are you preaching salvation through Jesus Christ? We are the old guard, the old religious insiders. We know the truth. So you're seeing this opposition. And you're seeing this in what we just read, another example of religious insiders and religious outsiders. So I'm pointing this out today because in our church world today, we have a lot of people that go to church, and their number one opposition is, I, don't, I definitely wasn't one of the insiders. If you go to a church, you can kind of tell, well, there's the rule followers. There's the people who have been here forever. They know how to do church. They're the insiders. We're, we're not really involved in that. And I'm saying all this to say is that the teachings of Jesus Christ, what we see throughout the book of Acts is this is for all people. And I've, I've mentioned it a number of times. There are no religious insiders. There's people who act like it but they're not really insiders, okay? This is for all people. And what you're seeing today in those verses that I just read, an interesting story of how for these first century believers, a really important thing to them was distributing food to those who needed it. Every day they would go and they would find people who needed help who needed some food, especially the widows, they would say, and this is something that Jesus taught, make sure you take care of the widows and the orphans. And so they were looking after the widows, those who needed help, and they were distributing food to them who needed it. But what was happening is the Hellenistic Jews, which I read, which would be Greek-speaking Jews or outsiders, Jews from other nations, 
their widows were being overlooked, and only the Hebraic or the Hebrew-speaking Jews, their widows were being fed. So this was a really subtle way of saying, oh, these are the insiders. We're going to take care of them. We're going to exclude these people. And so this problem was presented to the apostles, and the solution was this. We got to have somebody who can take care of this. We got to have somebody who can take care of this, who can oversee this. And what we read in verse, in verse number two was that the 12 disciples, they gathered together and they said, we can't take care of this. In fact, they said, we can't neglect the preaching of the word to wait on tables. Another way of saying, we can't neglect preaching the gospel to do the food service, to take care of the food needs. So we need other people to do this. And note, what they're saying is not food to people who need it. This is so beneath us. We're the apostles. We're the important people. That's not what they were saying. But what they were saying was, we have something we're supposed to do, and we can't get distracted from that. But this also is so important. Notice like this first need that is presented to the New Testament church is a very practical need, a very practical, we got to take care of the needs of those who are needy and hurting in our community. So you see how this is important to them, and you see how they recognize they can't take care of this, so they need somebody to lead this. They say, we got to find someone who can oversee this effort, and they find these seven people, and they say, you are now in charge of the food ministry of this church, right? You're now in charge of making sure everyone who needs food is taken care of. You can see how the gospel is not just about preaching the gospel. It is about caring for the needs of those in our community, right? That is, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. This is not a way of saying the preaching is more important than the caring for the needs. They recognize this all has to be taken care of. This all has to be taken care of, and we need someone who can lead this. So I'm pointing this out today to say this is how the church works. This is how the church works. We all need to find a place to serve, we all need to find something that we can do. For myself, for Christy, we are the pastors of this church. And there's things that we need to do, right? There's things that we need to work on. But I can't do everything. Christy and I can't do everything. And it doesn't mean that the other things are less important. It simply means that we need some other people to step up and to say, I'll take care of that. I will take care of meeting that need in our community. I will take care of this ministry. I will lead it. I will run with it. And this is what God has for me to do to be a part of the big church, right? This is how the church works. We could not survive here at Homestead Community Church, and we're a relatively small church. Imagine the church globally, all the people that are needed for preaching, for teaching, for leading ministries, for caring for the needy, for caring for those who are broken, all the things that need to happen. We need people to step up and lead and to serve. We have spots for you. We could not survive without the people who are setting up in the lobby, who are teaching all the kids right now, who lead our youth ministry, who handle all the finances and the business side of this. We are a team of people, and there is a spot for each of you. In fact, there is a spot that God has said, I want you to step in and serve. This is, a, this is an example of this in the book of Acts. There's a need that was there, and they said, we need someone to lead this. And so they put some people in charge of that. So are you in a place where you are serving or leading? Are you in? Are you involved? This might look like what the apostles were doing, proclaiming the gospel, going around teaching other people. This might look like a position where you are helping meet a tangible need in our community. 
This might be leading a community outreach to those who need help. This might be serving in a role at our church, teaching the kids, running the tech booth, hospitality, greeting people as they come in, making sure we always have donuts and coffee made. We've got people who take care of those, and there's always spots for more people. We want you to step in and get involved. We have no shortage of ideas as a church, and if you live in this world, we know that we have no shortage of needs in our community, needs in this group of believers right here. But what we need is for people to get involved, to say, I'm in, I'm going to be a part, I'm going to step up, and I'm going to lead something. So Acts chapter 6 is the first time we see this, like, infrastructure and organization brought to the New Testament church. So that's my first point today, is there's a spot for everybody. There's a spot for you. Get involved, help, serve. For us to be a healthy church, everybody needs to find a place to serve. And as we grow as a community... We're going to need more people to lead things, to take things, to run with things, to serve in areas that are needed. There's a spot that fits you. The second point is this. The first one is there's a spot for you to get involved. The second one is this. This is a reminder. This story here is a reminder that we need to stay focused on the main things that God has for us to do. It would have been really easy for those apostles who were going out, they were preaching They were going into the temple. They were preaching salvation in Jesus Christ. They were praying for people, seeing God perform miracles. These guys were the ones who were proclaiming the truth, and then the insiders, the temple leaders, they were opposed to it. So they were arresting them, persecuting them, threatening them, saying, you got to knock it off, or we're going to throw you in jail. And these are all the stories we've read so far. And they're saying, no, we're going to keep proclaiming the truth. This is what God has for us to do. It would have been easy and tragic for them to get sidetracked and say, oh, forget about the preaching. we gotta, we got to take care of this food distribution thing over here. And the word of God would have been neglected. It would have been easy for them to get sidetracked. In the same way, it's easy for us to get sidetracked from the important things in our life, what God has called us to do with our life. I am notorious for being distracted, you know, for like, household things. For example, even this week, what I found was happening was, and when it's nice outside, I like to do work on the I office out of home because we don't have a church office. So when it's nice, I'll sit out in the backyard. We got a patio table and an umbrella. It's, like, it's a great office. But what happens is I'll be working on something for the church. I'll be writing a sermon or I'll be doing something else, sending emails or working on other things. But I'll be outside and I'll start looking around and I'm like, man, the lawn is just kind of shaggy a little bit. And I'll be like, I think there's some weeds over there. And then I'll go and inspect, and I'm like, yeah, there's weeds all over here. I got to do some. I think I got weed killer in the garage. So I'll go to the garage, and then I can't find the weed killer because our garage is a total mess. We just had a grad party, so it's an extra total mess around our garage. I'm like, where is, man, it should be right on this shelf, but this shelf has got other stuff. We need to reorganize this, and, but there's not a spot. You know what we need is new shelves. And then I find myself at Ace Hardware buying shelving brackets to build the shelves to clear off the thing. And so all I've done is I've slipped like four levels deep into distraction, right? I'm like distraction inception right there. It's like four levels deep because not only is the church work not getting done, But the lawn hasn't been taken care of. The garage hasn't even been cleaned. All I'm doing is building. So I'm notorious for getting sidetracked. Anybody else? Anybody? I'm like the old lady who swallowed the bird to catch the spider, to catch the fly. You know, like for, anyone know? There was an old lady who's, okay. 
We should sing the song to remember that. I'm like, so anyone else like that? Or maybe you have a husband who is like that, and you're like, yes, one task leads to like six other half-done tasks, and the one that was initially on the honeydew list never gets done. So it is really easy for us to get distracted when we have something that God has put in our heart to do. It's really easy for us to get distracted, to get pulled in other directions. Or maybe it's just a stage of life where you're in where you're like, the main thing needs to be this. And this message might be a time to remind you to stay focused on what God has for you to do in this season. Maybe you've gotten distracted with something. Maybe God has put on your heart to do something and you've put it aside. You've gotten distracted with other things. It might just be a season of life that you're in. Maybe you're about to be a college student or a high school student, and there's going to be all sorts of things that are going to pull you in other directions to get involved in. But the best advice I ever got from a professor while being a college student was, you're a college student. This is the main thing. Your classes are the main thing. Maybe you're a parent of small kids at home, and you're thinking every day is just the same thing. I'm just entertaining these children or trying to raise up good kids, and I would love to be doing all these other things. But God might be saying to you, for this season, this is the main thing. This is what I have for you to do, to pour into these young lives. It might be a season in your marriage where you're like, I just need to focus on my marriage. It might be church-related, where God has commissioned, I mean, God has commissioned all of us to be involved in this great commission to see his light go forward. And maybe you're being distracted in all sorts of other things where you know God has put something in your heart to do and you've just been pulled in other directions. This might be a reminder for you to keep what is important first in your life. Keep what's important to be first in your life. I think sometimes for us the distraction is an intentional avoidance. For me, if there's a phone call that I need to make that I don't want to make, it's just going to be like, oh, I don't want to have to call that organization or that you know, whoever it is, it's nobody in the room. I've never said that about, oh, I wish I didn't have to call the Hawks family. No, I'm just kidding. But maybe there's something on my to-do list where I'm like, oh, I'm totally dreading this. Anybody have that? And what do you do? You find everything to do around that thing. You're like, well, I should probably do these other things first. I should probably clean the garage first because that'll help me make my phone call later. And sometimes, and so I'm saying that to say this, maybe God has put a challenge in your heart where you're like, I don't, I don't want to do that. I'm going to get I'm going to go in all these other directions first. Sometimes that distraction is an intentional avoidance to what God's main thing in your life is supposed to be. So let's make sure that what God has put on our hearts to do, we are staying focused on that. Right? That's what those initial apostles, those first apostles were doing. We can't neglect what God has put on our hearts to do. We're supposed to be preaching the word. But this is also important. We're going to find other people to do that. So what happens as the story goes on and what we read, there are seven leaders appointed. And that gives the list of names which I mispronounced. They chose Stephen, and they chose Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert of Judaism. And when you read a list of names in the Bible, it's easy to just glaze over and be like, details we didn't need to hear. But I love that Luke includes these details in here because it's a way of adding validity to the story. Like, these are real people. These are real people. You want to know if this story, I mean, to the readers of this first, when this first was written, Luke was saying, you want, to, you want to find out if this is all true, here's the names of the people. Go ask them. Most of them are still alive. You know, this was details. But there's also interesting information in these details in that all of those names were listed and none of them were insiders. None of these were Jewish names. 
A lot of these were Jewish people from outside. These were Greek-speaking Jews. And some of them were even not even Jews at all. There was a Gentile named Nicholas who was a convert to Judaism. So again, it's this idea of we are reaching out to what would be seen as the outsiders. But for the people who are opposed to the church, these temple rulers, these Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious insiders, they see this as another reason to be opposed to the faith. They are further infuriated by this Jesus movement because it is including outsiders. It is putting outsiders in positions of leadership. It is feeding outsiders and providing food to outsiders. And as you read the story... Stephen, one of those seven who were chosen, he's going out and he's preaching. He's preaching about Jesus. He's preaching about how salvation is not found in the temple and the rules anymore, but in Jesus Christ. So all of these things are leading up to a breaking point with the opposition, with those Pharisees, those religious insiders, those temple leaders. And they say, we've had it. We've got to put a stop to this. So they drum up some witnesses to make false claims against Stephen, and they drag him in. So last week, a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how it was Peter and John being dragged in and questioned by these people. Now it's Stephen. He's brought in, and he is questioned by these leaders. And you can read all of this in chapter 7 of Acts. Chapter 7 is a great chapter of, it's really like the history of the Old Testament in one chapter. If you, want to run, if you want a kind of a recap of the entire Old Testament, read chapter 7 of Acts. Because the Sanhedrin and these leaders, they question Stephen. And they're saying, why are you preaching in the name of Jesus? Why are you doing this? You know this is against our rules. You need to knock it off. And Stephen, in chapter 7, just goes through the Old Testament. And he is not holding anything back. He's saying to these guys, you guys are hypocrites. Don't you remember Abraham? Don't you remember Moses? Don't you remember the prophets and the kings throughout the Old Testament? All of them were pointing to Jesus, and yet you guys are blind. You don't even see it. This is what Stephen is saying to these religious rulers, and they are getting more and more and more angry. And throughout the chapter, uh, Acts chapter 7, Stephen is giving this defense of Jesus. He is telling them every step of the way, Every time there was a prophet, your people, he's telling the religious insiders, your people persecuted and opposed, and you're doing it again. Not only did you oppose Jesus, but you're the ones who killed him. But guess what? You can't stop what Jesus is doing. This is what Stephen is saying to these religious insiders. So I want to read some verses of what happens next. In Acts chapter 7, I'm going to start at verse 51, and it's going to go through chapter 8, verse 3. So here is Acts chapter 7, 51. This is the rest of the story after they bring in Stephen, they accuse him, and he makes this defense. And this is what Stephen is saying in 7, verse 51. You stiff-necked people. That's a great way to start, you know, talking to any group of people. You stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Where, there, where Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, talking about Jesus. And now you have betrayed and murdered him. And you who have received the law that was given through the angels but did not obey it. 
And when the members of the Sanhedrin, those religious rulers and rule keepers and insiders, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So he has this vision of Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he says, look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this... They covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. So this is kind of like, we're not listening to you, we're not listening. You know, if your kids ever do that, I'm not listening to you, I'm not listening to you. It comes from the scripture. Who knew that they knew what Acts chapter said? At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, Stephen, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. And Saul approved of their killing him. And now chapter 8. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So all of this... This movement now of the first century church, everything begins to change here with this story. These religious rulers can't listen to any more from Stephen, and they freak out, and they have him stoned, which really means at the height of the temple mount, they throw him off the ledge, and if he survives the fall, then people start hurling rocks at him until he's dead. This is what happened to Stephen. This is a breaking point. All the religious people who can't stand this new Jesus movement, now they've finally had it, and persecution breaks out. And there's this guy, we're introduced to like the villain in the story named Saul. If you're a Star Wars fan, this is like the first time you see Darth Vader, and he has his own theme. He's like, this is Saul. He is like a leader in the persecution. This is bad guy number one. And everyone is like laying their coats at the feet of Saul while they're murdering Stephen as a way of showing honor and, you know, approval of Saul while this is happening. And Saul then leads this movement to go around finding the Jewish believers, finding the Christians, dragging them out and throwing them in prison. And the rest of the believers, they scatter, they run because they're like, this is all falling apart. We got to get out of here for the safety of us and for our families. We have to leave. And so they leave Jerusalem, they leave Judea, and they scatter into other nations and into other regions. This is all happening right here at the end of chapter 7 and the start of chapter 8. And this seems like the end of the movement, doesn't it? This seems like, man, this, this was fun while it lasted, but now... They've had it, and this is over. Now they're arresting the Christians. Now they're executing the Christians. Now the Christians have all scattered. But what we see is this. What looks like defeat, God is moving forward. What looks like the end, God is saying, no, it's just the beginning. What looks like opposition, God is saying, no, this is going to grow. This is going to continue. You can't stop the work of God. What had been a local movement is now international because guess what? All those persecuted believers, they're in all the other nations now. 
The Great Commission was to go into all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and that hadn't happened yet. And what did it take for that to happen? Persecution. All of a sudden, they run to all these other nations. Now we've got Christians and Jesus followers in all these other nations. And churches begin to sprout up. Churches begin to start. The gospel is spreading to all these other nations. What looked like opposition and persecution was God's way of saying, you can't stop this. You can't stop this. Now we're going to spread throughout the region and through the other nations. The gospel is now in the known parts of the world, and for the rest of Acts, we see churches springing up everywhere. So the point in all of this to you today is this. What looks like opposition or what looks like defeat in your life, God can be using that for his purpose, right? God can be using that. You're saying, I know this seems hopeless. I don't understand what God is up to, but you're saying, God, I know, you're gonna, I, I know you can use this. God is saying, you think that opposition and persecution is going to stop what I'm doing? It's not. You think a bad guy like Saul is going to step in and stop the work of God? It's not. God is bigger than that. And next week, we're going to hear that God has a whole new plan for Saul that Saul doesn't even know about. You think that this movement is just for the insiders? No, God is saying, no, it's now spreading around the world. It is for all people. You can't stop what God is doing. Amen? You can't stop what God is doing. So our job, and really the lesson that we learn from Acts chapter 6 and 7 is this. Our, God, our, our job is to be less concerned with the opposition around us. And I know that applies in our nation today. I know there are lots of people talking about, well, you can't do this because of our religious freedoms, and we're feeling opposed to this, and the church is being persecuted because of this. I think our job is to be less concerned with that and realize nothing's going to happen that's going to stop the work of God. That's what we see in the book of Acts. You can't stop the work of God around the world. It's going to keep moving forward, and we can be a part of that. And we are a part of that by just staying open to God, staying obedient to him, to be willing to serve wherever is needed, like Stephen was willing to serve and distribute food, to be willing to give your life in service to others, even those who are outsiders, to stay filled with faith and passion in spite of opposition and persecution. That's what we can do. That's what we can do as Christ followers in this world today, to stay filled with faith and passion no matter what's going on in the world around us, no matter what's going on in our nation, to know that God is moving, he is working, and nothing can stop that. Amen? Nothing can stop that. We are like Stephen, and hopefully the ending of our story won't be like Stephen's. But we're like Stephen in that we are chosen to serve wherever is needed. God has chosen us to serve. We are chosen to speak up for truth. We are chosen to live our life for the cause of Christ no matter what. And here's what I want to encourage you today with. Everything might seem lost or broken or hurting. Everything might seem like, I don't know where God is. This just seems like my faith is coming to an end. I'm barely hanging on with this, this, this. Even when it all seems lost, here's the hope that we find in our scripture today. Even when it all seems lost and hopeless, we know that God is moving. Amen? Can somebody say amen to that? We know that God is moving. He is at work. He is advancing. His kingdom is advancing. Lives are being eternally changed. So I want to encourage you today, wherever you are in your life, in your faith, just take those steps to be open to God. Just take those steps to be willing to serve, to lay down your life wherever needed. 
to reach those who are considered outsiders, to meet needs in our community. And when we just simply open ourselves up to God, we're going to see him use us in ways that we can't even imagine. And then when we face times of opposition, when we face times where it seems like all hope is lost, we know I'm with God, God is with me. He can't be stopped, so I'm sticking with him, right? He can't be stopped, so I'm going to stay faithful to him. And no matter what happens to us, we know that we have stayed faithful to our God who has used us to advance his kingdom around the world. It is what we get to be a part of. It is what we have been commissioned to do. We're like those first disciples where Jesus saying to us today, go into all the world. Preach the gospel, make disciples, be a part of this. Keep the main thing the main thing. Keep what is important, the focus of your life. Let's not settle for distractions around us, but let's keep God the focus of our hearts and say, God, what would you have me do? How can I be a part of this kingdom? No matter what, no matter where you want me to serve, no matter who you want me to talk to, no matter what I have to walk through to get there, I want you to be leading me. I want to be a part of this kingdom. That is what we are commissioned and called to be a part of, and what a great privilege it is. Let's pray together. Jesus, once again, we open up our hearts to you. We want everything you have for us. So, Lord, I pray for those who are here today, maybe they've gotten sidetracked from what you have called them to do. Maybe this walk of faith has become on the back burner, and they've been sidetracked by other things, just regular life. Lord, help us keep our faith in our focus. Maybe there's somebody here that you have called them to do something and they've gotten sidetracked with other details of life. Lord, we want to keep the important thing, the important thing in our focus. And we want to serve where you have us to serve. We want to meet needs where needs are to be met. And we thank you that you have called us to be part of this kingdom, this big church that is moving forward, that is changing eternities, that is changing lives all around the world. We want to be a part. So Lord, direct us where we need to go. And we thank you that you have called us to be a part of this. We want to live for you in, our, in service and devotion. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.